Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Right, so stand again and worship. <coughs> Bride. What metaphor do we? The 
trial in price. And where's Mike behind us? I, I, I told you you need to be brainy this morning. Any ideas? In Revelation. In Revelation. Yeah, and I'm sorry. Yeah, so there's, uh, in, in some of Paul's letters, he talks, he uses the analogy of uh, marriage and the relationship with Christ and the church. But in Revelation, we read, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. Right. We now have somebody working in the office. I don't think it's critical that it's an office, they could be working anywhere. How is that a picture of the church? Any clues? Anyone? Think about Ephesians. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance to us to do. See, not everybody thinks of being in the office as God's good work, but if that is what he has called you to do, that is where you are being church. What God has called you to do, whether it's a missionary, or a preacher, or a nurse, or a teacher, or a pensions administrator, or a garden, if that is what God has called you to do, those are the good works that he has prepared for you to do. We have our vineyard. Anybody got can think of a Bible, rough, roughly a Bible reference that might? <laughs> Thank you. That's exactly the one I was thinking of. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me will bear much fruit. That is Jesus talking. Now, um, the imagery of, uh, of a vineyard would be very would have been very familiar. It was in Isaiah and elsewhere. The imagery of the vineyard being God's people uh, has, is used more than once. Uh, what do we have next? Are people at a festival or a concert? There's lots of whispering. So I'll never hear you on Zoom if you whisper. They won't hear you on Zoom anyway, but I won't hear you either. Um, any, any ideas for that one? Bible verse? Sorry? Oh, for the verse. Meeting together in worship, um, and in the Old Testament, God established his people as a people of festival. Um, and then in, in Psalms, we read, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with the lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dancing, praise him with the strings and pipe, praise him with the clash of cymbals, praise him with resounding cymbals. And the next one, the Simpsons. I put that in just... You know, because it's, it's, you know, cartoon. And we all love cartoon. Any ideas? Any ideas? Family. Family, yes. So, any ideas where in the Bible we might find something that tells us that the church is a family? Well, many of the letters begin to brothers. Do brothers and sisters, yeah, a lot of the letters do. And actually, uh, yes, I'm, I took, yes. So, yeah, the letters from Paul, Galatians, said specifically, when the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. We are children of God, we are adopted into his family, and that is a wonderful thing. And then finally, an empty room. Now, I know some of you will go, but in Ephesians... And we'll look a little bit later about buildings and how there is imagery of the church as a building. 
But actually, that imagery is of a building site, not a finished, empty room. So we're going to look a little bit about what it means to be church. And there's these huge number of metaphors and descriptions in the Bible. I've used only six. Can anyone think of any that I've missed out? Or could have included? The church, body of Christ. Any others? If we're called to put on the armour of Christ, that might make us an army. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, which makes us sheep. Um, I could have also used, I, I did try and find a picture of a remnant of cloth, because at times we are called a remnant. A tree stump in uh, Isaiah, there's the stump. There are a lot. In fact, there's a, there's a textbook which I haven't read. <coughs> I haven't read. And it's by a chap called Paul Minier, and he wrote Images of the Church in the New Testament. Anybody want to stab at how many he identified? We've come up with about 10. 100. Close. And you were in the car when I talked about this. <laughs> and so were you.
God initiated the, the contact. He initiated speaking to Abraham. He chose Abraham. We're not told any particular reason why it was Abraham, but God chose him. God didn't reveal himself to Abraham in response to Abraham seeking God. And then verse 4, God goes on to say, I establish my covenant. So we read about that in Genesis 15 and 17. And he establishes covenant relationship with Abraham. Now, anyone feeling brainy? There's another question. Anyone want to explain what covenant is? A special promise. A special promise, that's a good way of doing it. David, you're going to add something. A contract. A contract? Sort of, yeah. Sort of, yeah. Now, I, I, it's, it's one of those things, it's one of those things that you kind of know it, but it's hard to, hard to define. You know it when you say it. A marriage is a, is a type of covenant because in, the, in a marriage ceremony, nobody says, if you do this, I will do that. You both promise mutually. It's a mutual promise, without, effectively without condition. Um, you don't say uh, in a, a contract, there's always, uh, if you pay your rent, you can occupy the building, um, even if the landlord doesn't demand it, that's my old life. Um, so there's, there's this, this establishment of a promise between God and Abraham. God makes all the promises to Abraham, and we can read that um, when that was established, God called Abraham to sacrifice animals, and the fire of God passed between the animal sacrifice. But only God passed through the sacrifice. In, uh, back in the ancient times that this was set, if it was a treaty between two parties, two nations, both, would pass, both parties would pass through the sacrifice to show that they're in it equally. But only God went through that sacrifice. God made all the promises to Abraham. And then finally, after the covenant has been established, God says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. The nature of that covenant is an ongoing relationship with God. There is a sense of possession and exclusivity here. God's people and no other gods. I will be your God, and we could add that there will be no other. So God appeared, he established his covenant, and he claimed his people as his own. So God established that his relationship was with people. And as church, we are God's people. That is why we can go back into the Old Testament and start to learn a little bit about what it means to be church. But establishing that church is <coughs> people is the easy bit. It really is. Because what that means for us is the hard bit. That's where we need to shudder with humility because it comes with great responsibility. Let's turn again to God's word in 1 Peter chapter 2 and beginning at verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be, hope, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that makes people stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not your, use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honor the emperor. This is a really challenging passage, but it's, it's, it's wonderful. It tells us who we are in God. And we're gonna very briefly, looking at the time, uh, very briefly look at what it means from this passage to be the church in community, the church as a congregation, and the church in covenant. The church in community is about how we behave. How we behave towards others as believers, including believers that we may disagree with, and how we behave with those outside the church. Peter is very, very clear. He says, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. In verse 11, he says, he, he urges his readers to abstain from sinful desires. And in verse 16, he says, do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. That's your freedom in Christ. There are these warnings about our behavior and attitudes with good reason, because how we conduct ourselves as a community of believers says an awful lot about how we feel about God and the nature of who we believe God is. I mean, if you think about, say, the, the churches in in the South of America in the 50s and 60s, practicing segregation. What does that say about the type of God that they were worshipping, that they thought it was okay to segregate? 
And we see images of this in all sorts of ways today. Non-believers see us and make a judgment on what it means to follow Jesus. They will judge Christianity, God and Jesus by what they see in us. We are God's advert and what a humbling responsibility that is. We pray each year for my kingdom come and we pray for people to come to faith. But we have all prayed at times for people who have been put off Christianity because somewhere along the line a Christian or group of Christians have put them off have hurt them. When we hear these stories, and there are some truly horrific stories, it should break our hearts and we should lament. In these situations, we can't readily say, well, don't look at the behaviour of Christians, look to Jesus, much as we might be tempted to. Because if the church is the people, how can we say, don't look at the people? Sadly, in the world around us, and especially if you go on social media, there are some awful examples of dialogues that would count as malicious or slanderous from keyboard warriors, many of whom claim to be Christians. Paul highlights that we are to rid ourselves of these things. They're all inner problems of the heart. In verse 11, he sums it all up as simple desires. It's not just the outer manifestation that is the problem. It's our rooted in our inmost being. It's our inmost being that drives how we behave towards others and in our public discourse. There is no place for them in church, and yet we see these manifested too often. The truth is that there are people dying because they need to see what radical, transformed lives in Christ really look like. And malice and envy and slander are not that. The frustrating thing is, of course, that we cannot control what other individuals say or post on Twitter much as we would like to. Paul tells us what not to do, but thankfully he also tells us what to do. He says, conduct yourselves honourably, live good lives, Honour everybody. Love the family of believers. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that pastor and theologian who opposed Hitler in the uh, 1940s, said this. He said, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. If I'm honest, I, I don't fully know what the answer is when you see or hear Christians being slanderous or devious. But I do know that our reaction, my reaction, must not be those things. Our lives need to reflect what we think of Jesus, who we know him to be, so that we live as a witness to others. So the church is a community and we learn how to behave. Secondly, the church as a congregation, and I mean by this, the gathering of people in worship. Now last week, Roland Walsh spoke a lot about the importance of gathering, so I won't repeat 
what he said, and you can all listen to it online. I'm sure it's up there already. I haven't checked. Sorry about that. Uh, but it is worth noting that the, the word in our Bibles that gets translated Greek is from the word ecclesia, which means assembly, a gathering of people. And Peter, in verse 5 in our reading, says that as a congregation, we are to be built. And of course, as a surveyor, I'm very pleased about a built environment analogy. But we must take care how we read verse 5. It does not say, build yourselves into. It says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Other translations will say, like living stones, let yourselves be built. We are not the builders here. God is building us. We are described as living stones. It is not our natural state, but when we come to faith in Christ, we become alive and become the building materials of the church. When the people of God are built together as these living stones, they become the spiritual temple formed by the Spirit, replacing the old physical temple. No longer will an empty building do. As a, part, as a part of the congregation of believers, we are living stones, worshipping, learning, journeying together to be transformed by the work of God's Holy Spirit in us. That is why togetherness is important. We are not built together as individuals. You cannot have a building made of one brick. I'm not a quantity surveyor, but I do know that. Gathering is important, as Roland said last week. We gather in worship, to receive teaching, to share communion, and in a few weeks' time I'll be talking about what it means to gather together around the Lord's table. And we meet together in prayer, and Sarah has very eloquently talked about the importance of prayer. And we have an opportunity tomorrow evening, our monthly Zoom prayer meeting is available. Corporate prayer is important. Gathering is important. It builds us up in our faith. But if God is the builder, it doesn't mean that we just passively let, sit back and let this happen. We've all been at church today, so it doesn't mean to say that we can think, oh, that's it for the week, I don't need to worry about anything, come back next week, God will still do his building. We need to actively surrender ourselves to his will. It is in the daily laying down of self and taking up of the cross that we are <coughs> This is what ongoing discipleship is. We're called not just to believe in Jesus, but to walk with him day by day. That is why the person in the office is just as important as being church there, as being in this room. And in verses 6 and 7, Peter describes Christ as the cornerstone of the building. This is the stone that holds everything in tension and without which the walls or the arch collapses. With, without Christ in his central place, the church will collapse. We may be described as living stones, but without Christ, we're just a lump of rubble. Our opening song, Jesus, we enthrone you, reminded us that we need to keep Christ in his rightful place as king in our hearts and in our fellowship together. If we do not, we will no longer function as a church and may as well just be a social club. 
So we've looked at the church in community, the church as a congregation. And we are also a church that is in covenant. Peter tells us as Christians we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. Once you were not a people, he said, now you are God's people. He's drawing again on the language of the Old Testament. And we've already spoken of God's covenant established with Abraham, whose descendants grew to be the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. There is this uniqueness in the Christian faith, a stark dividing line between those who have become part of the church and those who have not. And I'm not talking about the church, the local, this, this church here, but of the worldwide, ages-wide church of all who are Christians. Covenant is about belonging to God, to entering into the promises that God has made. There is a new corporate identity for us when we become a Christian. We belong to that worldwide church, the, the royal priesthood, a nation that is, there is belonging in believing. We belong to God. We are not therefore just a Christian and, and walking the Christian life on our own. It is a myth to think that Christianity is individualistic. After all, when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to say, Our Father, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, and so on. It's not my Father, give, give me today my daily bread. There is a togetherness there. We are joined in the church that contains all Christians. We are in it together. Now as Baptists, we take the covenant relationship very seriously. And that is why at this church, unlike, say, a, a Church of England church, we have a formal membership. It's very Baptist to have a covenant membership. So you don't become a formal member here just through attendance. So obviously it's, you're all part of the family here. That's all good. But we have a covenant relationship among the church members. And that's why the members will be meeting on Wednesday to pray together, to seek God's will together, and to seek where God is leading us for the next season in this church. Now if if you're not a member or you have some questions or you want some questions or have some questions maybe about baptism or what it means to be a Baptist, um, in November we will be having an opportunity for anyone who would like to come along and just ask questions. It can be, do you heat the water? Or it can be, can be, what do you wear? That's normally what I've, I've been asked. What do you wear? Do you heat the water? Or it can be, you know, what is a Baptist church? Is that part of the Church of England? These are all questions that I've had recently in conversation with people about this church, about what we do here. But there will be an opportunity to just come along and ask whatever question you like. Um, just to set aside maybe your curiosity um, and we'll publish the date and it will be in November, it will be, the date will be in the newsletter. Um, but if you are interested, just, just mention to me and we'll, we'll try to make sure that if, if there's a few and, and there's a particular time of week that would be better for most people, we'll, we'll work around that, but uh, it'll probably be one evening. But becoming a member is a formal acknowledgement of becoming part of the Church of Christ. 
It makes a commitment in covenant relationship with this group of believers in this local congregation in this time. The church in covenant is about belonging, about belonging to God as his people. We are his people, he is our God, and it's about belonging to each other. So the church can be described in many ways. Multifaceted diamond, a shaft of light from each different metaphor and description. It is the people of God we are called to be in community together, behaving in such a way that brings witness to the Lord. We are called together as a congregation that worships together, being built into God's spiritual temple of disciples. And we are called into covenant. We belong to God and are in relationship with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you revealed yourself. Though we were far off, you revealed yourself, you sent your son, that we might come to know you and enter into relationship with you. We thank you for the gift of your church, flawed and troubled though it often is, but we thank you for that sense of belonging, belonging to your family, belonging to the worldwide body of believers in worship and praise and witness to you. Lord, forgive us when we do not live lives that honour you. Forgive us for the times that we have hurt people. Forgive us for the times that we have put people off finding out more about you. Lord, we want to serve you and to see more people come to know you, to join that church, to rejoice in being with your people. Lord, help us, we pray, in the power of your spirit to be built in you as your disciples. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our final hymn speaks of how 